Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. It was a wonderful book talking about how Christ manifests himself to us and reveals himself to us and, and in, in a real, uh, real personal way. That was an excellent book. Um, uh, there was another one by an author, two actually, by an author named Roy Hess, and he wrote one book, We Would See Jesus. Uh, which was a, a little booklet, but just a profound piece of writing, and another one of his as well, which was called When I Saw Him. And so that phrase, When I Saw Him, is the title of my message this morning, and uh, it's, this, this phrase is found in our text in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, that we're going to read as it relates to the Apostle John. So when I saw him, or... In other words, when you see him. And so I pray that the Lord will reveal himself this morning through his word. So let's look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll read through to verse 17. Uh, This is John. Obviously, he's uh, already in having a vision of Jesus. And in doing so, Jesus has already spoken and he is, uh, you know, right in a book, these things in verse 11, but we're going to pick it up in verse 12 because he hears a voice and then he turns to see that voice. So John in, uh, says in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about with a chest, or with about the chest, with a golden band. His head and hair were like, like uh, white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. Or I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. You see, this is a profound portion of text. And here's John the Apostle. And this is interesting for a number of reasons. Because you're considering the fact that John the Apostle, he was with Jesus in his earthly ministry. He was one of the disciples. So obviously he wrote the Gospel of John. And what a wonderful account and understanding, revelation that John has of Christ. And John was the apostle of love as we know him. So he was very intimate in his relationship with the Lord. We also know that he was one of those that in the Lord's Supper, he laid on his breast. And so you get a picture of the affection 
And uh, the, the relationship, unlike, you know, say, Philip and Thomas, and who were kind of one of the 12, but a bit more distant, they weren't so attached to Jesus as, say, John was. And, and so John was very familiar with, with the Lord. But yet here he is on the island of Patmos, and here he is having this vision of the risen Saviour. And he is seeing the Christ in all his glory. And as he turns to look, and as he, uh, he gives us a picture of what he sees, it says in verse 17, And when I saw him, let those words resonate in our heart and our mind this morning. When I saw him, I fell down as dead. Now think about that. I mean, he didn't just say, oh, Jesus, how you doing? Or there wasn't some kind of, you know, uh, response or anything. He just, the, the, the Bible tells us that he sees the glory of God. He sees Christ in his majesty, in his holiness. And all he can do is fall down as one dead. <laughs> because that is the reality of when you see Christ for who he really is. This is a picture of the human response. Because you cannot see God for who he is and be the same. You cannot see Christ for who he is in the scriptures without being so profoundly affected by what has been revealed. You see, we know that John is... At this moment, now again, remember, he's the apostle of love. He wrote, even First John, perfect love casts out fear, right? There's no fear in love. But yet, in this instance, we know that he is overcome by a, 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 an element of fear because Jesus says to him, verse 17, do not be afraid. So Jesus has to reassure him. Jesus speaks comfort to him. In this instance, because of what he has seen, he's fell, fallen down as one dead and fear had no doubt has gripped his heart in a manner maybe that had not previously. And so the Lord sensing this uh, says to him, uh, uh, do not fear. You know, the Bible says no one can see God and live. <laughs> you know, Moses said, show me your glory. And uh, God said to Moses, you can't because no one can see my glory and live. And so, but he says, listen, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And again, this is all type of being in Christ and then, you know, I'll, I'll, my back, but not my, my face. And so here's John, uh, he gets a glimpse and he falls down as one dead and he's overcome by a sense of awe and majesty and holiness and glory and Jesus has to say to him, don't be afraid. And so again, this sets the tone of what I want to say this morning because I ask you again, have you seen Jesus? Not as you think he is, but as he really is. Because as we see him in the scriptures, as we read of him, uh, it's one thing to know Jesus after the flesh, but it's another thing to know him after the spirit. It's one thing to know him. And the Bible says uh, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I tell you now, everyone will stand before the Lord and I am of the opinion that they will fall down as dead. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess because of the, the, this, this, this effect, this influence, Jesus says to John, don't be afraid. 
You know, I just quoted there, every, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. This is found in the book of Philippians and chapter 2. And the Bible tells us, again, remember we, we talk about Jesus in his glory and Jesus in the flesh, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, he humbled himself and he became a man and uh, he became obedient to the point of death. Philippians gives us a, uh, that he humbled himself. And, he, and it says these words, in actual fact, we'll read it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says that he made himself of no reputation uh, and came in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of a man. Meaning that he, he made himself of no reputation. That word in the Greek means he emptied himself. And he took upon himself the form of a man. And he was born in a manger. You know the story. And so here is Jesus, the, the man, the son of man. And so he, he, and here he is he's, uh, uh, through his experiences. And so many just saw him as a man. So many still see him as just a man. But though he emptied himself of all of his glory and took upon himself the form and likeness of a man, it didn't change who he was, amen? And so after he had died and after he had been risen from the dead, he had then ascended to the right hand of the Father. And you only have to read uh, in the book of the Revelation to get a glimpse of the Lamb of God, amen, that's seated on the throne. And that is the Jesus we serve. That is the Jesus we know. And he's high and he's exalted. That's why God has exalted him above every other name. That's what it says in Philippians. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. So it's one thing to see Jesus the man, but it's quite another to see Jesus, the Son of God, high and lifted up. And so I want us to see him high and lifted up this morning. I want us to get a glimpse, I pray. I can only humanly speaking, do so much. But my prayer is that God will just give us a glimpse, give you a glimpse personally of something that I'm trying to share here through the Word of God, that it will affect us. Because as I said, we look at the two categories, the sinner and the saint. Now let's think of two sinners that had an encounter with Jesus. Can you think of any? Mm. <laughs> Peter. We looked at Peter on Friday night in the prayer meeting. And who's the other individual that springs to mind? Uh, had an encounter with Jesus, think of it. Paul, Saul, okay, Saul, Paul. So let's just focus on those two for a moment because, again, uh, again, you capture the response, you get a sense of what's happening. And so let's go to Luke chapter 5, and uh, we'll see here in the Scripture, because this is Peter, and we'll just get a glimpse of I won't read it, but I'll just tell you the, the background to what I want to read. But um, here's Peter. He is about to be called as a disciple to follow Christ. And in which the scripture tells us he forsakes all to follow him. But Peter is a fisherman and he's been fishing all night. And the Bible says he's caught nothing. And so he's exacerbated. You know, he's probably worn out. He's tired. He's probably frustrated, moody. He's had no sleep. And, uh, and he's got no fish to go with it. And then Jesus says to him, let down your nets. And so, uh, and, uh, so he does so. And in doing so, they have a catch. Uh, it was 153, wasn't it, that we said? Ah, okay. Uh, okay, yeah, that's right. Okay, not there. But anyway, 
the point being is, is that they have a catch and their nets are breaking and they've, they've caught so much and Peter uh, knows that this is, a, you know, he, he responds to the command of Jesus in doing this and so as he sees the miracle that has just happened, I mean, he's a professional fisherman. He's not an amateur, you know, going out and coming back. He knows that there's nothing happening there tonight. And so here it is, is, the nets are breaking, they're full. And so he comes to the Lord in this moment and look at verse number eight of Luke five. It says, when Simon saw it, what had happened, he fell down at Jesus's knees and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now let those words resonate again, depart from me. He falls at his knees, he falls down prostrate before Christ. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. See, what is going on in the heart of Peter? He's seeing the Lord. He's overcome with a sense of his own sinfulness. All of a sudden, he's, he's seen a miracle. He knows it's a supernatural miracle. And, uh, and in doing that, he's in awe uh, of, of Christ. But at the same time, he realizes uh, he feels naked before him. He feels uh, uh, vulnerable. He feels exposed. And so he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And he is overcome with this sense of guilt. And he knows that he's even a condemned man. And so isn't it interesting? Uh, he knows, he says, depart from me because he says, I'm worthless. Uh, I cannot be in your presence or you cannot be in my presence uh, because of who you are and because I am. And he's astonished at the, what has just happened. But listen to verse uh, 10. It says uh, later in verse 10, Peter speaks and he says, do not be afraid. He says the same words. And so isn't it interesting that both John and Peter, seeing the Lord, are overcome with a sense of fear. And so it takes Christ to speak to them, to bring comfort. And in both instances, the Lord responds and says, do not fear, don't be afraid. And so again, I think as I look at this, I think that when, you know, the fear of God and sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect, but you know what? It's good to, the fear of God is a good thing. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so sometimes we need a bit more of a stronger dose of the fear of God. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, we all make emphasis of the love, the love of God, and rightly so, and I'm not taking away from that from all, but the Bible says consider the goodness and the severity of God. And when you consider the severity of God, I tell you what, your soul can get become extremely fearful. But you see, only Jesus can speak to the human heart and say, do not fear. And so, but the fear uh, is, is healthy. You know, again, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, they just, uh, they get zapped and they die. And the Bible says great fear came on the church that they didn't even dare come near the apostles. Now, people would look at that and say something's wrong. There's something wrong with that. No, that was a healthy fear. It was a good fear. And so the fear that is, being, uh, is coming forth is, 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 is a natural reaction. It is a human reaction. It is actually a good reaction because you can't not but fear of who Jesus is and who we are. But Jesus speaks into the situation. He speaks to the heart. 
And he says, do not be afraid. And what reassuring words they are. And so uh, we move into a reverence uh, than just being afraid and terrorized. But you know what? Sometimes you need to be afraid and terrorized. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because one day men are going to stand before God and it's not, hell's not going to be a party. Hell's not going to be a place where, you know, you can just do what you want when you will. We're talking about the eternal damnation separation. And this is something to be feared. And so here we have this issue of fear and Jesus speaking in both occasions, don't be afraid. <laughs> then there's the Paul the Apostle that we looked at. We've just looked at Peter, but I want to make an emphasis of Paul. Because again, you know the story in Acts chapter 9. And so Saul, before he became Paul, he was persecuting the church. He was vehemently zealous for the law. He was so hateful of the Christians. I mean, there's a guy that was intent on doing destruction and having people killed in the name of the Lord, having people locked up in the name, uh, not in the name of the Lord, uh, 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 because they believed in the Lord and so forth. And so he was a great oppressor and persecutor of the church. But you see, one day Paul is marching down to Damascus and the Bible says that a, sh a light shone around him. And let's actually pick it up. If you've got it, you can go there, Acts 9, I'll get the exact wording so that we can just see it. In Acts 9, it says these words in verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And look at verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see, note the words, he was trembling. See, that was a good trembling, amen? He was in awe. He was astonished at what was going on. And he was shaking. He was trembling in his heart because he is now having face to face. He's seeing Jesus for the first time. He's seeing him for who he really is. Not as he sees him, you know, as a false Christ or a deceiver or as a false prophet or whatever it is that he had the perceptions of him. But now he sees him as he is and he is trembling before the Lord. And it leads ultimately to his conversion. And so this is the disposition of heart that I believe is, is in many ways required for when one sees Jesus for who he really is. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this is not to diminish or do away with the love of God because, because in, in, in all things, whether it's based on the love of God or the fear of God, the love of God is only a step away. I'm just saying that this reaction is sometimes a necessary component for various individuals because they need to tremble. Nations need to tremble before the Lord. And so, as you see with Peter, as you see with Paul, when the sinner has a true encounter with Jesus, he does not remain the same. And you know, the reality is, church, is that only God can accomplish this in the hearts of men. We can't do this. It's something that the Spirit of God does when he awakens a heart, when he confronts a heart, when he draws a heart. 
and whatever it is that he desires to do in that heart. And so let's look secondly at the saint. Because this says there is a few examples in relation to um, having an, or seeing God for the sinner. There's one in particular that I want to draw your attention to that relates to the saint. And I think you might know who it is. It's Isaiah, the prophet in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. So maybe you can turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I want to just kind of lay a bit of a background here because Isaiah, we know, is a prophet. He's a preacher. And so he's already written five chapters, as we can see, or at least we know there. He's already being used of God as a, as a prophet to bring a rebuke, an indictment upon the children of Israel and, and so forth. But here in chapter 6, something profound happens and he sees the Lord. And uh, uh, we need to pick up what's going on here because the Bible says that he has a vision of the Lord and uh, he sees him sitting on his throne. Now look at verse 1. It says, In the year that King Azza died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now think about that. He says, he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Now note this. It says in the day, or in the year, sorry, that King Uzzah died was the day in, or the year, I should say again, in which um, uh, Isaiah had this vision that the Lord revealed this to him. And so there's, I believe that there's a degree of significance to this because if you follow the story of King Uzzah in the Bible, you'll realise that King Uzzah, was, he died as a leper before the Lord. He was a king of, his, um, of Israel. And he, here he is, he's, he dies as a leper. And the reason why is because Uzzah was filled with pride. And you can read this in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 26. It gives us an overview uh, of this. And, uh, and it says that uh, he's, in actual fact, it says in verse 16, um, maybe we, if we can bring it up, oh, there it is. But when he was strong in his heart and was lifted up, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord by his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So in other words, Uzzah became proud and he became exalted in his heart. He was high and lofty and he was arrogant and lifted up. And so he said, you know what? I can go into the temple. I can offer incense. And again, we, we were touching upon this in the Bible study, in our Bible study, because we're talking about entering God's presence. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> uh, we know that the altar of incense was in the holy place, uh, and it was only the sons of Aaron, the, uh, the priests, that could go in there and minister in the holy place. Uh, and obviously in the Holy of Holies, uh, um, uh, it was the, uh, the high priest only once a year that could go in. But no one could enter that place. It was holy. But Isaiah thinks, I mean, Isaiah... Uzziah thinks, well, you know what? I can do this. I'm the king. I'm important. And so uh, he walks, uh, he, as uh, they all try to refrain him, and then the Lord, if you know the story, the Lord strikes him with leprosy, and he remains a leper 
for the rest of his life until he dies. And in the year that he dies, this is the year that Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees the one who is the true one who's sitting on the throne. Amen. The one that is uh, 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 the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Isaiah has uh, this, uh, this vision of the Lord and he sees God and he sees him for who he is. Because God is the only one, hallelujah, who is high and lifted up. In actual fact, look at Isaiah 57 verse 15. The Bible says, for the prophet speaks and, he, and the Lord speaks and says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Amen. Are you getting the picture? There's only one. That's why Satan wanted to usurp the throne. Lucifer, he wanted to become as God. He wanted this place and he wanted this position. And you know the story. There's only one who is high and lofty. There's only one who is exalted. There's only one who dwells in the high and holy. Note the high and holy place. And so it's the high and holy place. And listen to what he says. Uh, he says, I, uh, 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 I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so, see, that's what does the Bible say, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is the exhortation of Scripture. Because God's not interested in our pride and arrogance of heart. He will resist it. He despises it. And in Isaiah's case, he was, he was struck with leprosy. And, uh, uh, and again, so, uh, symbolic of sin, his sin. And so, but listen, God says, the high and lofty one dwells with who? With him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. That word contrite means a broken, a crushed. Because, you know, when you see the Lord for who he really is, and when you see your own uncleanness and sinfulness, you cannot but be broken and crushed before the Lord. Amen? You cannot just but prostrate yourself on the ground and say, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner. Lord, uh, or fall down as John did as one dead in fear and know that God is high and holy and that we are lowly. We are to be broken and contrite. And God says that, that, that the, the high and lofty one will dwell with that particular one. Remember Jesus gives us that uh, story about the, um, the Pharisee and, um, and what was the other one? The, the tax collector and the, uh, whatever it was. And, he, um, and the, one, the, the Pharisee says, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. I'm not like this sinner over there. You know, I fast twice a week. I give my tithes, you know. Uh, and uh, the other one, one, Jesus says he won't even look up and he beats his breast and says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what does Jesus say? He went away justified, not the other one. Because God's not interested in your self-righteousness. He's not interested. He dwells with the one who is broken and contrite who knows their sinfulness and says, Lord, save me. God, forgive me. 
See, Isaiah sees the holiness of God. And what is Isaiah's response? Look, let's read. In verse 3, he sees, oh, actually, verse 2, he sees the seraphim, and they're, they're there around the throne. And in verse 3, it says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so this is an awesome uh, uh, encounter that Isaiah is having and observing in this vision. And what is his reaction? Look at verse 5. So I said, woe is me. He, what, his first reaction is to see himself as he is. His first reaction is to see and identify that he is in the presence of the high and holy one and he sees now himself. This is the prophet. We would think this is Isaiah. He's the one that's talking about and bringing the indictment upon the children of Israel for their sin. And yet he says, woe is me for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And so he's identifying not just the, the, you know, their sin, but his sin and his uncleanness because you cannot be in the presence of God. You cannot see God for who he is. You cannot see Jesus for who he really is and not have this type of response. It's clear, isn't it? What does Isaiah say? Listen, in verse 5. I dwell, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King. My eyes have seen the King. John said, when I saw him. You see, when you see Jesus, when you see God, for who he really is revealed to us in this book, I tell you now, you will fall prostrate on your face and say, God, be merciful to me. You won't stand there and say, oh, hallelujah, you know, and, and uh, somehow, um, uh, you know, speak of well of yourself or of, any, of anything of the sort. You see, they say there's a familiarity that breeds contempt. And there's a truth to that. And I'm not saying that we can't be in the house of God and rejoice. In actual fact, I'm all for it. I don't mind getting a little bit excited. You see, I just get a little bit of a jump there, but... You can get excited. You can be, you can come into the presence of God. You can sing, you can move, you can... But I'm telling you, there's also dimension of flesh that's in the church in today's worship and praise. And I tell you, what's needed is fear and trembling. <laughs> they, they don't need to turn the lights off to make it dark so that everyone can feel comfortable. What they need to turn the lights on and let the light of Jesus shine, let them see Christ for who he really is and let everyone shake in their pants for a moment. Because that'll sober us up real quick, won't it not? And then it thinks the mood changes real fast. But you know what? When we come before him, when we humble ourselves, then, then Jesus says, don't be afraid. So I'm not saying you live in that place. But you need to know what it is to pass through it. You see, when, I, uh, when, I, when my, uh, my eyes saw him, Isaiah says... You see, one cannot come into contact with the holiness of God and see them 
um, the, uh, and not see themselves as they really are. It's just, it's a contradiction. If you're going to see God for who he really is, then the, the byproduct of that, you'll see yourself for who you really are. Light always exposes the darkness. The Apostle John, when he saw Jesus, he said that he had eyes like a flame of fire. Hmm. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, how does this make you feel? <laughs> and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Ooh. Listen to that. There's no creature hidden from his sight. God sees everything. And we are naked and uh, open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. These are sobering words. And so you might ask the question this morning and say, well, what's the point of all this? Where, what am I exactly am I trying to say and communicate? I want to sum it up with a few things that we can learn from all of this. This number of lessons, I just identified a few. One, it is this. I put this question to you at the beginning and I put it again. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen the King? Have you seen the holiness of God? Have you seen the glory of God? Have you seen your own sinfulness? Because, you know, I, I've known of, and, and, and again, this is not a bad thing, but I've known of people who come to the Lord and they come in faith and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't have a true revelation yet of their own sinfulness. And God's journey with every individual is he's going to bring us through that place. And he will bring us to that place where we will see him as he is and who we really are. And we again, you know why? That's why the grace of God becomes so much more precious as you get older as a Christian. Can you say amen? You begin to appreciate the attributes of God and, 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 and appreciate him for who he is because the older you are in the Lord, the more you realise, and uh, because there's so much in there. Now, I'm, I'm saying um, we are obviously being changed into his image and we're being uh, transformed, and that is true. But at the same time, we know our hearts, we know uh, what we're like, and so we begin to appreciate more and more the attributes of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And we worship him and we rejoice in, not in ourselves, but in him. And so, you know, have you seen your own sinfulness? Peter did, and he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Isaiah did, and he said, woe is me. But at the same time, I put to you, have you heard the words, don't be afraid? But you see, you can't hear those words until you first come to hear uh, and see the Lord. And when you tremble before him, God is faithful. He will speak the words, don't be afraid. Rest assured, be at peace. My peace I give to you. And so we are made clean, amen, not of ourselves, but by the blood of Jesus. And there's one last thing I want to leave you with, and that's this. Have you surrendered all to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered yourself fully to the Lord? Because I said to you at the beginning that if you see Jesus for who he really is, it will not only profoundly affect you in the present, but it will affect you moving forward in the future. Because I, I, and again, I ponder upon this. 
Now, we refer to Peter in Luke 5. And so here it is. Peter has an encounter with the Christ. And he falls at his feet and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And what's the exact words that Jesus speaks straight after that? He says, he says follow me. And the Bible says that Peter forsook all and followed him. Because when you have an encounter with God and you see him for really who he really is, then it changes everything. And so here it is. Peter goes forth from this day and his life is changed because he has seen the Lord. So that's one aspect. Have you surrendered all? Because that's what happens with, uh, with, with Peter. But Peter's not the only one because remember Paul? Paul the apostle, he has an encounter on the road to Damascus and he's trembling and he's astonished and Jesus says, it's me, it's Jesus. And so what does Paul say? He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then we know that the Paul beca uh, Saul becomes Paul and he goes on to become the Apostle Paul and in which he writes most of the New Testament uh, as we know it uh, and yet he is uh, used mightily. But Jesus said, I'll show, him, I'll, I'll, I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And he became a vessel and he became an instrument that God was able to use uh, and he did use mightily, but he, but he surrendered all. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then you Read the scripture in Acts 9. It says immediately he preached that Jesus is the Christ. He can't not. How could he not preach that Jesus is the Christ? He's just seen the Lord. How can you see Jesus and keep your mouth closed <laughs> and remain silent? How can you see Jesus and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? Or in other words... He's Isaiah. Now let's go back to Isaiah. He says, woe is me for I am undone. I am, a, I am unclean. I dwell in the midst of a people that are unclean. And so listen to what it says. And it goes on. I'll read it in, um, in verse 6 of chapter 6. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now listen, he says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah hears those words. And what does he say? And then I said, Here am I. Here I am. Send me. He's making himself available and saying, Lord, here I am, send me. The Lord, amen, when you experience Jesus, when you see Jesus, uh, you cannot remain the same. And so you begin now to live your life and, and say, Lord, well, what is it you want me to do? Because now you've become a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus. We will be changed. You see, the Bible says that God is holy and he's lifted up. And holiness this morning, obviously it has various aspects for us to consider. But we are called to be holy for I am holy. Peter says, be holy in all your conduct. And so we are to conduct ourselves in a, in a manner before the world that is separate. That word holy means to be separate. Now we are separated unto God already. We are sanctified is the word. We are wholly sanctified in Christ but now in the, in, the, in the process of sanctification, 
as a Christian. It's the basis of holiness is separation. Now we have to separate from those things of the world that are unholy. Because how can, you, how can we see Jesus, know Jesus, walk close with Jesus, and, and yet uh, be in a, in a, live in a manner that is totally contrary to his holiness? It's a contradiction, isn't it? And if we're going to be uh, uh, useful to the master, then we have to be holy and separate, as the Lord would tell us. I want to read one last scripture in this context. It's found in 2 Timothy and uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18. And uh, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's dealing with some issues there in relation to some false teachers. But he goes on to say, in verse, I should say verse 19, not 18. He says, nevertheless... The solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those that are his, and he knows those that are not his. Because not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. So the Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There's the mark. There's the, there's the evidence of the seal. That you are separated, that you are holy, that you are sanctified, is that now you will depart from iniquity. That doesn't mean that you never sin again. What it means is you don't continue to live in sin. You don't begin to continue to practice an unrighteousness in a manner that is, uh, is disobedient to the Lord. Because the mark of those that are his is to depart from iniquity, is to be holy. Now look at verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honour and some for dishonour. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, note those words, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So we are being called uh, uh, to cleanse ourselves from the latter, from those things, so that we can be vessels of gold and silver. Because you know why the Bible says useful to the master, meet for the master's use. God can't use us if our lives are not, if we're not living right, if we're not living clean. How can we bear testimony? How can we let the light shine when we're walking in darkness? Because you know what? The first time you try and share the gospel, some sinner is going to point the finger right at you and say, well, if you're a Christian, you wouldn't be doing that. What are you doing here? <laughs> and so uh, we, we're called to, be, uh, to holiness. And why? So that we can be vessels of honour and useful to the master. Because God wants to work through us and in us. And again in verse 22, flee youthful lusts, flee, run. The Bible says that the fool rages and is self-confident, but the wise man departs from evil. He runs from it. He doesn't say, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Well, him who stands, take heed lest he fall. I don't think you can stand 
because uh, people say, oh, you're overreacting. You just, you know, you don't have to be so, you know, run like that. No, you, you can't be, you know what, if that's, if that's what it takes, Jesus says, if you have to cut off your right hand, cut it off. Oh, that's just too extreme. You bet it is. That's the point he's making. Be as extreme as you have to be so that you don't practice sin. And that means oh, I, I, I can't, you know, the, I, I'm, I, you know my, my computer, my phone, I, you know, there's just too much temptation. I'm just going to, you know, do this or do that. Oh, my gosh, that's too extreme. What's wrong with you? It, you, you do what you have to do. Whatever it is, it's not to forget about the person next to you. If that's going to help you, if that's going to uh, enable you, if the, and, 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 is, and, and not only that, God will look at that and he'll say, you know what, this person's serious. And, uh, and he gives you the grace to overcome. But again, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so again, the emphasis being here is being meat for the master's use. God wants to use us. The Lord says, uh, pray, Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest would raise up laborers to send out into his harvest. God wants to use you and me. And we're just, we're just vessels, unclean vessels. But we can become vessels of honor. We can become vessels of gold and silver, useful to the master. If we will just make sure that we order our conduct aright, walk worthy before him, and walk in a manner that is pleasing in his sight. And then God can begin to work through us. And then we can testify and our lives will be, will, will confirm our words and they'll see the testimony of our lives. And so again, in saying all of this, church, I came back to the point. Have you seen Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. God, for your word that is true. For your word, Lord, that gives us such understanding that enables us to see you, Lord, as you really are. Not as we think you are, but as you really are, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would give each of us a revelation. Lord, uh, open our understanding. Every individual, God, that's here this morning under the sound of your word, Lord. God, I pray, give them an understanding, a revelation. Enable them to see you in a manner, Lord, that they have not seen you before. In your holiness, high and lifted up in your glory. And if that means, Lord, to fear and tremble, then so be it, my God. Because, Lord, in doing that, in, in contrition and in brokenness, you dwell with that one, Lord. You calm. You speak. Do not be afraid. And, Lord, only you can calm that storm. And we thank you that you do and that you have. We give you the praise and glory this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you as we go this morning. Amen. Looking forward to next week for the baptism. And um, uh, actually, if I could speak, see Joshua and Talia just before, as we finish the service, I'd just like to share a few words and we'll go from there. So looking forward to next week for the water baptism. It's going to be great. Praise the Lord.